Welcome back, listeners. We have a guest today who practically needs no introduction because you have been listening to him for years. And that guest is none other than Dr. Brian Horton. You know him from our show, but Brian is also a professor at North Carolina Central University. He is a scholar and he is a prolific musician and writer. And today we are going to talk to him about all of those things. So we're just going to jump in. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. We are here um, in one of our last episodes of About South with someone that listeners are going to be incredibly familiar with, yet they have never entirely heard from before, and our guest this week is none other than Dr. Brian Horton, whose name you have heard at the end of every episode for the last four years, and today... The man behind the music is on the show to talk to us not only about his career as a professional musician, but also his work as a professor and a scholar of jazz history and HBCU jazz programs in the South and the U.S. So Brian, thank you so much for joining us today via telephone from, are you in Durham today? Yes, I am. Oh, Durham, North Carolina. We are thrilled to have you. Welcome to the show for your first voice appearance. But like I said, you have been in every episode since the beginning. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, being here and you taking the time out to contact me and uh, speak with me. Uh, Great to uh, actually be a part of your show. I've been following it. It's nice that... uh, my music is up there, <laughs> but uh, also you talk about some really interesting things. So yeah, kudos. Oh, thanks so much. So to get started, you grew up in Kinston, North Carolina, which is in the eastern part of the state. It's a medium-sized city, but I don't know if it's necessarily a place that listeners or people in general associate with a jazz music tradition. So just to start us off, Growing up, did you know you wanted to be a jazz musician? How did you get into jazz music? How does a kid growing up in Kenston find the path that you found? Well, Kenston, although it's a very small city, um, uh, it's a very special place, and I could be a little biased because I'm from there. (laughs) Uh, But uh, because it's so small, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of things to do. and stuff for really be with your family, um, you enjoy your time with your friends, and go to school. And when I was younger, um, I didn't know anything about jazz or anything like that, but I was always around or surrounded by music. Uh, one thing, it was everywhere I went, it was in church, you know, it was at different functions and stuff we had from family reunions and whatnot, and I wasn't necessarily so keen on it at a time that I was interested to know what was going on and how it worked. Uh, for me, I started just 
pretty much like everybody else, uh, like around middle school. And at a certain point, they start to introduce arts to you, you know, and music was one of them. I had no idea that I was going to play saxophone or anything like that. Uh, honestly, I wanted <laughs> to be the next Prince, the, the singer. Um, so I used to, uh, yeah, I knew all his songs and all his lyrics, and, you know, and I wanted to play guitar. And the day that I had so like a music trial period of that day where uh, we showed up to this classroom and uh, on the table were all the different instruments. There was flutes and saxophones and trumpets and drums and all this kind of stuff and everything. It's like once you, you know, pick one. And I said, well, I, I want to play guitar, you know, and they said, well, we don't, you know, we don't teach guitar here. And I said, okay. And I looked over all the different groups and saw the girls with the clarinets. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I saw the trombone. I said, oh, that doesn't look too interesting. And uh, I saw the drummers, and they didn't have, like, full drum sets. They just were playing, like, on little snares and stuff. And I said, I don't really want to do that. And maybe I was taking too long to make up my mind. And the teacher, he just, he just put a saxophone in my hand and said, here you go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and that was it. As soon as I touched it, I was like, wow, I really like this thing. I'm going to see what I can do with it. I just thought it was a cool-looking instrument at first. But I would say the thing that really kind of kept me in music at first was just the camaraderie of, you know, being with other students, you know, uh, who were my friends, you know, and just having something to do. Like, I think that's the thing about the artist, you know, especially when it comes to music, is that uh, it's something that allows you to do something together, you know, and uh, you can kind of build from that. Around the same time, you know, I'm, I'm a 70s baby, you know, but I, most of the music and stuff I remember is like coming up in the 80s. So I, I remember hearing a lot of Luther Vandross and Dionne Warwick and uh, Marvin Gaye and, you know, just a lot of good soul music and stuff. And around that time also, I remember uh, BET on jazz. Uh, BET, the station, first of all, came out, but then they had like a, maybe like a little jazz hour, you know. And it wasn't necessarily the straight ahead, like real, real stuff and everything, but it was something that kind of piqued my interest, you know, so I used to just watch, you know, they, I think Miles Davis had a couple of videos, uh, Dr. Marcellus had some videos, Najee, and a lot of smooth jazz and stuff like that. I just thought it was interesting because I hadn't seen people like that uh, on TV or actually in my life before, like actually play and actually be on TV and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I just thought the music sounded really interesting. I didn't do jazz necessarily when I was in Kingston. You know, that wasn't until my undergrad days at uh, Central University that I actually got into that. But my my interest, at least, for the music had started pretty early with some of those things. I would say that, you know, even though Kingston wasn't necessarily, at the time that I was growing up, really known for jazz music, it's always been a city that's known for music, period. What I mean by that is, like, when you think about back in the you know, the 50s and 60s, like a lot of groups would actually come through uh, to Kingston and the eastern part of North Carolina to uh, perform different gigs, different shows and whatnot. And there's maybe something in the water down there, but there's a lot of great musicians who came out uh, through there. Uh, one is Maceo Parker, uh, the saxophonist who went on to play with uh, James Brown for many, many years and then with a, a host of other uh, well-known and popular uh, musicians, including Prince. But for some reason, it's something like Kingston where we've just had a lot of good things musically and artistically uh, come out of there. It's not like we had a, uh, an arts program or whatnot. I just feel like the community was so tight, you know, and that everybody knew each other that everything was 
you were always supported in no matter what you did. And I was like, my family, I mean, there's nobody in my family who does music <laughs> at all, you know? So when I started doing this, it was probably even looked at as, you know, something different, you know, and something, I probably didn't think of it as me actually making a career and doing it, but uh, it's something that I would be able to participate in and, and feel good about. And at what point did you, after you go to college and you're thinking about this as a career, how did you start to think about jazz in particular as the genre that felt the most artistically fulfilling for you? I went to an audition for my undergrad uh, at North Carolina Central University, and my soon-to-be teacher at the time, and also my mentor now, uh, Dr. R. Wiggins, uh, let me sit in on a combo session. And a combo session is like a very small classic ensemble where there's like bass, drums, piano, and a few horns, and they were all in there playing. It's a really fast song. And uh, when I walked in, it just sounded like cacophony. Like, I was just like, there's so much stuff going on, and it was the first time I've actually seen this happen, you know, like in real time. And they got towards the end of the song after all this stuff that's going on and thing, and they just all like just kind of stopped at the same time. And it let me know that, th- that there was some kind of method to this madness. And I was like, immediately, that's what I want to do. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called, but it looks fun. Sign me up. <laughs> so, so I, I think my beginning education uh, really kind of uh, uh, inspired me to kind of follow that. And once I found out what jazz was and just how, how many different facets of it, you know, can be, can lead to some kind of creative force or art form or whatnot and anything. The, the more I studied it, the more I heard it, the more I played it, the more I checked out other musicians, other people and what they were doing, just the more I became enthralled with it. And I was, I was pretty much hooked after that. Sometimes um, I think with people either, sometimes to me, and I could be completely wrong, but my perception is sometimes people either think about jazz as a genre from the past, or they think of it as a genre that exists in urban spaces like New York and Chicago. And if New Orleans, I think they tend to associate it a little bit with the past, but it has these kind of city centers where the genre is perceived to have, you know, a life and a purchase, but that's not really true, I would guess. And that in fact, like you, a student at North Carolina Central in North Carolina has a, like there was a jazz community there. And how do you see it as related to these questions of urban versus rural, northern states, southern states? What's the general geographic footprint of jazz? First of all, uh, jazz is not really that old of a music, especially uh, when we start to compare it to other things in the classical genre and style and stuff, anything we've heard. It's made about a little over 100 years old right now, and it's had its strongest, uh, most innovative years for about six years, so anywhere from the turn of the 20th century up to around the 60s. And I would say that, you know, the first thing about uh, jazz music, you know, is that 
it's the music that really shaped American culture uh, the way that we even see it today. And the fact that it was really one of the first uh, and original uh, art forms and ways of entertainment that we had here in the United States. And so it was the music that was used in our everyday lives. And I don't, and then right now what I mean by that, I don't necessarily mean just the music of, let's say, someone like Miles Davis and kind of blue, which basically if you ask anybody, say, oh, have you, do you like jazz or have you ever heard of jazz or anything? Say, sure, and that's the first thing they name. But we're talking about something way before then where the music coincided side by side with American life and how we looked at ourselves and how we developed in our in our own humanist kind of ways, if you, if you think of it even that way. And the music at the time, yes, you would say, you know, it, there, was, there was parts of it everywhere, you know, in the beginning. And I definitely say in the South, uh, New Orleans takes a big credit for that with uh, their artists like, you know, Buddy Bolden, Louis Armstrong, Freddie Keppert, that kind of stuff and thing, where the music, it wasn't necessarily studied at the time. It was something natural. It had a visceral nature to it, born under the blues, you know, that that was something that was part of everyday society, you know. And at some point, you think about, you know, great migration and people looking for jobs and, you know, and trying to better their life and whatnot. The music would move to different places like Chicago or up to New York or Philadelphia and whatnot and everything. I would say that a lot of the origins of jazz music started in the South period, you know, mostly and really the southeast to the Midwest and kind of spread out throughout uh, uh, the nation from there. And then, as you know, later globally, I live here in Durham, North Carolina. You know, we have a very vibrant uh, jazz scene. It's not New York, <laughs> of course, but then again, what place is. But, you know, here we have our own performing arts centers. We have the North Carolina Central University, which is HBCU, which is like one of the the top schools that advocates and has ha- advocates for uh, for jazz and a jazz studies program that actually has a master's program into it. Um, we have our own headliners and stars in here. Brett Marzales lives here, and you know Freddie Line. You know, it's so. I, I think it's about you know where you are. Like you're able to find this. It's just that it's not. It's not the popular music of the of the day that it used to be. You know, but it's still living it's still living music it's not dead you know it's just that we don't hear it on the radio as much you know there's other things that that are taking the place of that you know which are good things i think you know but a lot of r&b a lot of hip-hop a lot of country you know that kind of stuff those uh styles and genres of music kind of rule the radio way today which is the thing that jazz did up until like the 50s how do you see um the role of New Orleans in particular in the region, in the genre. Um, For anyone who, I know that this is maybe a little bit of a perennial question, or maybe I just stole it from the television show, Treme, that the character who's the jazz trumpet player, he goes back and forth between New Orleans and New York, and people give him a lot of kind of grief about what's happening with jazz in New Orleans. It has such a mythical place in the history, but do you have any feelings on where it is in terms of the present and the evolution of the genre and where it's going next? 
jazz music in New Orleans is, is still really based out of the tradition. When I mean the tradition as far as the kind of music that they play uh, and the style, it, the way that it's played, you know, is still based in the tradition that it was in, you know, from the first 30 years, you know, of the turn of the 20th century. You know, a lot of jazz now, uh, especially after the post-bop movement uh, in the 60s, and also with it being more kind of uh, accepted in academia, has uh, evolved into a state of not just a tradition anymore. It's actually, I feel, uh, it's trying to find a way to still be relevant in the music of today and more contemporary music. Uh, and by doing that, I would say that, you know, it's just has always been, in, first of all, just has always been a music, you know, that that borrows from many different styles of culture and whatnot, artistic culture and everything, and adds to it. There's a certain baseline to it, you know, which is blues and swing, but there's different layers on top of it, too, that makes it, that, that keeps it fresh and keeps it significant, you know. As far as what's happening today, you know, in the 21st century, you know, there's a lot of influence of more popular music that's what's happening right now. And I think with that, some of the tradition at times can, can be lost. It doesn't mean that the music is bad in any kind of way or not, but as far as, you know, uh, really paying attention and being gentle and taking care of, of things like melody, you know, being to play softly and sweetly and beautifully, you know, along with improvisations that reflect the actual songs you're playing, those kind of ideals are not quite what's in jazz uh, today. You know, um, it's almost as if, to be, it feels like at times to me that it seems like it's more um, lucrative, <laughs> actually, uh, to be to mix the one thing that we know with things that are popular today, so that we uh, will be successful and to the point not necessarily like you know be a star or whatnot, but in order to work, you know, in order to provide for ourselves, you know, I, I guess you could say any art is like that, but it, it tries to find some kind of way to. To, to survive, you know, and continue to do that. There's two sides of it. You have traditionalists, you know, who want to keep something whole, you know, and keep it pure. And then you have the more contemporary uh, side of it, you know, where they want to continue to evolve and make something, uh, make something new. The thing about jazz, whether it's traditional or, you know, contemporary stuff, that it's always going to be something new because the, the, the biggest trademark of jazz is improvisation. And improvisation is making something out of nothing. There are certain parameters. <laughs> yes, there are like, you know, harmonic parameters, stuff and everything, whatnot, that keeps it in place. But you can play the same song for 100 years, but it will always sound different at the time that you play it. I personally don't have a problem with either one of those things. Now, I, I came up in a tradition, not because I was born, out of it, but because I studied it, you know, and it was something that I really enjoyed. But a lot of the work that I do encompasses things that I grew up with also, you know, like the, the, the music that I grew up listening to, like Luther Vandross and, and uh, Martin Gay and Lou Rawls, which was like my mother's favorite for some reason. <laughs> she loved him, you know. So when I write music, my, like the foundation of music is always jazz, you know, and that platform is there because that's how I learned about the music, the theory, the, what actually made music work, period, not just jazz that made music work, and I take that and then I layer it with the things that I've experienced 
you know, and use it with stuff that I like, you know, and I mix all that stuff up to one thing. And that's how I come up with the things that I write and things that I play. I pretty much play things that I enjoy. So I would say that it has to really depend on the musician, depend on the person and the goal that they're trying to hear. Me, I'm Southern, you know, so my stuff is always going to have that blues feel to it. It's always going to have the tradition you know, uh, jazz, you know, it's always going to have things I grew up with, like listening to the gospel, you know, learning hymns, going to church every Sunday. It always has that feel that's going to come out, even if I don't necessarily write a gospel song or write, you know, uh, an R&B song or whatnot. I'm using jazz for me as my musical platform to be able to express myself. That's really interesting because it also makes me think about how, I mean, you've lived all over. You've been in New York, Texas, Colorado, and you're back in North Carolina. Um, What is special to you about the scene there in North Carolina that you're a part of and how does being there influence your work? I would say that, I mean, first of all, I mean, I know this place. I know the people, I know the food, you know, I know the feel of it, the beat of it, the, the culture, how it works. And, you know, this, you know, you don't really appreciate where you're from until like, until you don't have it anymore, you know, or until you leave it, you know. And I spent about nine years in New York, you know, I spent another three or four years in Texas, you know, Colorado, and I've traveled like all over the place, all the nation. I've done a lot of traveling overseas also, you know, and for me, you know, since North Carolina is the place that I've, I've always known, I've known it so well, it's been a great opportunity to see other things, but at the same time, you realize what's missing when when it's not there anymore. So for me to return home with all the knowledge, <laughs> worldly knowledge, if you want to say, well, I, I guess I would say that one thing is me returning to uh, Central to teach after seeing how other schools run their programs, even like these Ivy League schools who are doing uh, jazz in their programs now, you know, there's, there's a difference there. You know, one thing, the... The students, I mean, they're, they're mostly black, you know, and they come from musically like church backgrounds, like they played in church, you know, they have a natural, more visceral kind of approach to music. They don't know anything about the theory and all that stuff, and they love that stuff in the first place, you know, but they have such a, a natural thing where a lot of these other schools, you know, uh, throughout the nation don't have, they learn things from just books, you know, and say, okay, I want to do music, I'm going to do that. You know, and I'll learn it from whatever this age tells me to do. You know, here, and I'm just bringing it to school for right now because I'm bringing it to school because that's where the kind of, that's where the, the music community in this area kind of spawns from. You know, there's something about uh, the connection, you know, between these students and they're coming from places uh, that I'm very familiar with, very small towns or whatnot around, and knowing the kind of lives 
you know, that they probably lived or grew up in that pushed them in some kind of way into music. Like I can feel something coming out of them when they play the music. My job is, you know, is to kind of shape and refine that, you know, as much as possible. But I don't, I would dare not change what it is that they're doing. But when I see that kind of thing come out there and when I have watched students graduate and have become like even my colleagues today and everything, I feel like there's a certain kind of community there that has been built off of something that is familiar, naturally Southern, and inherently rooted in the blues, you know? And for me to be here, when I'm talking about the scene, it's not just the scene of uh, musicians around, but the scene as far as the society, the community of the people, that becomes like a, a source of inspiration for me, not just for the writing of the music itself, but even playing the music, the, the way people smile and get some kind of joy out of the way they play. You know, it's not all technical, you know, because there's something in the music that they recognize. There's the base of jazz that's in it, but there's also something else that's very familiar. You know, the church is in there. The blues is in there. The gospel is in there. R&B is in there. Blackness is in there, you know. And so when you talk about the scene in this area, you know, to me, I feel that I, I not only appreciate where I'm from, but also appreciate where I'm at and what it is that I'm doing. Do other HBCU music programs, you think, have this same sense of community and some of those things that Central's program has? Or how do you see the HBCU tradition at other places across the South have influenced the music tradition in the region? HBCUs um, were some of the first schools that had any kind of jazz programs. Uh, they weren't necessarily accredited, and it goes back even to the early 1920s, uh, where um, rather than jazz ensembles or big bands, they were actually called stage bands at the time. And uh, a lot of these programs, you know, taught musicians about music, how music was supposed to be played. And the music was functional, meaning that it was used for um, not just school dances, but also for fundraisers to be able to keep these school doors, especially HBCU, open. And to keep it open was very important, you know, because we were trying to, you know, discover something about ourselves that we, as black people, were just as, uh, important and capable of love as anybody else. So jazz, especially at that particular time, being the popular music of the day, was naturally something that we thought that was worth being studied. Only thing is, uh, when you're looking at the early formation of HBCUs, we had to think about where our money was coming from, you know, and a lot of our money at the time and everything that was really supporting uh, the schools and whatnot were actually not even supporting, but giving the money to the schools and everything were parts of the government, you know? And so I think that a lot of HBCUs were not wanting to be able to uh, conform with those different legislation, legislations and whatnot to be able to keep the funding that they had to be able to, you know, keep the doors open. And doing that, 
not quite a lot of different disciplines here and anything, but as soon as it came down to music, I think that we felt that more music that like classical, Beethoven, Mozart, all that kind of stuff and thing was more legitimate thing of study than jazz at that particular time. Even though jazz was definitely uh, um, coming up in its own ranks as the most popular music at the time, but it wasn't just devil music or whatnot or anything. It was something that was very legitimate. But we had to try to uh, find ways to build upon that, you know, to make it so uh, that we could use it in academia. I, I feel like something happened with HBCUs between these times and whatnot that we concentrated so much on trying to stay at a certain standard that the investment in uh, our own culture, especially I'm speaking just specifically about music and whatnot now, I think, where we maybe even still didn't feel that um, jazz was really worth studying. But at around the same time, you know, there were many schools that did uh, foster uh, jazz study, you know, uh, especially at that time, you know, these schools uh, that did do this kind of thing, looking at places like uh, Fisk University, you know, uh, Alabama State, Tennessee State, Florida A&M, Wilberforce, whatnot. They, schools like that, along with Central and Howard and whatnot, you know, they were really able to nurture jazz and I would say maybe even capitalize on some of the things that were happening uh, after the war to be able to put out musicians, you know, and put out musicians who who were of a certain caliber, you know, that would help represent uh, their schools and make jazz the legitimate music that it is today. I mean, that's, in, that's incredible. And it's incredibly persuasive that at the same time, jazz does generate a lot of academic interest, but it at the same time, it seems like from what you're saying, doesn't always get, there's academic interest, but is there the academic dollars there to say that this is important and worth investing in and this has special relevance for HBCUs to foster this musical tradition and its future. I'm incredibly persuaded by that. I would say, unfortunately, there's probably about maybe, I don't know, maybe about 103 or 106 HBCUs uh, across across the nation. And there are very few of them that have jazz programs in there. Um, the concentration is mostly on marching bands and choirs and some classical stuff if, if, if they have the means to do that. Uh, it would seem to me that there would be uh, even a renewed investment in jazz music, considering the popularity in academia specifically <laughs> uh, uh, that is going on now. Uh, we're still not quite there yet. For instance, uh, there's, you know, out of all these schools, you know, there's maybe about uh, close to 500 institutions in the, in the nation right now that offer jazz degree granting, you know, uh, uh, degrees and whatnot. And, and a lot of them go to, you know, masters and doctoral degrees and whatnot, anything. But 
there are only two HBCUs out of those 106, you know, that offer a master's program, and that's North Carolina Central University and Howard University. It shouldn't be that way, you know. Uh, do I have hope that it would get better? Yes. You know, do I have not just the hope, but even, you know, some kind of hopefully in the future means or foresight would not to help, you know, um, bring it to a better status? Yes. Uh, and and this is something that I I want to see, you know, and I think that something that social is doing right now is is showing showing up the schools at different conferences and whatnot and everything that, you know, it's something that's worth study, it's something that's worth invested in at the HBCU. You know, we just did a conference at my house maybe back in the spring, you know, where uh went down with their jazz ensemble and big band and vocal ensemble. And, you know, and we performed for the HBCU Conference of Music that was there. And um, we also did a conference back in Texas last January, uh, which is one of the, uh, the conferences called the GEN Conference, the Jazz Educational Network Conference. And it's like, it's the big conference that the, all the schools goes to and does thinking. And uh, we gave a performance there uh, with Prince uh, Alice and the big band when I was there. And that performance, there was an invitation actually to form at Lincoln Center, which is going to happen in this coming January in 2020. And we are performing. The reason why this is so important is because that we are performing with uh, 10 of the best jazz programs and schools uh, within the nation. And we're the only HBCU. The reason why that is important is because I think that other HBCUs can see this and see that, you know, it's something that's legitimate that, first of all, that the music is legitimate to be able to be studied. But next thing, something that is possible and I grasp and that the music deserves to be in the forefront on the stage with everybody else. My thing is, like, that also needs to be concentrated, I feel, you know, into the music, not just jazz music, but music that has shaped the culture of a lot of things that we uh, deal with now, and it's something uh, that was that deserves the many rights, especially when we talk about black people and the creativity of this music, this particular style of music, and they, and the effect that is affecting the influence that it had on everything that we do today. Considering the fact that all these other schools, you know, are being able to put so much investment and resources into their actual jazz programs, I would say the HBCUs would want to do the same thing too. What is next for you um, in terms of what projects are you working on, upcoming performances? What's happening with Brian Horton music in the next couple of years? Oh, wow. Uh... I've been writing a lot. <laughs> uh, I've been writing a lot for uh, big bands and studio orchestras, and I've been taking out a lot of different commissions. Uh, actually, just finished a commission for uh, the Ellis Marcellus Center for Music, uh, which is revamping uh, a lot of things from the New Orleans uh, Silver Book Project, uh, Volume 2. These uh, are a lot of tunes by Ellis Marcellus and uh, Peace and a lot of really great straight ahead jazz musician that's coming out. And uh, I got this commission like a few months ago to um 
uh, like some big chart, big band charts for them, and I actually just got finished with it. And I believe they just got approved for the next part of funding. Uh, and so this project will be kicking off uh, right in January 2020. I also have done some work uh, for Duffy on my salad, the other his son. <laughs> and so those things are great. And I just got a call actually a couple of weeks ago that I received the uh, North Carolina Arts Council uh, Fellowship Grant for the composition. So, yeah, I have a pencil in my hand and some manuscript all the time. <laughs> wow, congratulations on the Art Count- Arts Council Award. That's huge. Thank you very much. I mean, the Marcellus's, yes, they're also huge. Uh, but gr- having also grown up in North Carolina, I know that Arts Council Award is a real recognition in the state. So that's really exciting. Brian, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to talk to us. And uh, I hope to see you soon in person. (laughs) I hope so too. Thank you so much. That's our show this week. As always, we want to extend a huge thank you to Brian for the music for all of these years and for joining us for one of these final conversations. About South is brought to you from Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines and Ajua Danso are my co-producers and Jessica Parker joins us this season as an assistant producer. Our music is by none other than Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. You can find us at aboutsouthpodcast.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We still have a number of exciting things in store for you between now and when we close out our season at the end of the month. Until then, take care.